Thank you, choir. Good portion of the church came up and sang, didn't they? It always reminds me, I tell the story, my dad used to belong, mom and dad used to belong to a little church that had 20 members. And they had a man who moved in who used to be in a big city, and he led in this church a big city choir. And so he decided in this little community that he wanted to start a choir in this church. So he said he figured it would only be a quartet with that size of a church. So he invited them to come for a tryout to uh, see who would be the best to join this little group. The entire church showed up. And he didn't have the heart to say, well, you can't belong, but you can. So he took the whole church, including the pastor. Then they got to thinking after practicing for a while, who's going to listen to them? So each week they assigned two different people to go from the choir to go out and to sit and to listen. And the next week it would be a different group. So if you all join this choir, we may have to do the same thing. Well, we're starting part two. For those of you that are visiting, if you missed part one, see the guys upstairs and they can make you a CD of part one that uh, I think will be very helpful to you. But sometimes we take a look at the laws and we just don't know which way to go. It's that way in our spiritual life as well, too. We were kind of talking about that in, in Sabbath school. We discussed last week. I kind of left you dangling, didn't I? told you you needed to come back. But uh, we talked about last week about three laws. We looked, first of all, at two of them, the law of God and then the law of sin. We found this in Romans 7, verses 14 and 15. For we know that the law is spiritual, speaking of God's law, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. And for what I will to do, that's to do God's will, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that's what I do. You get into that? Here I know this is the way God wants me to go, and I want to go that way. But reality comes around for some reason or other. I don't head that direction towards God. I go this direction. The opposite of what I really wanted to do. What's going on? We continue on with Romans 7, verses 21 to 23. Paul says, I find then a law that is evil, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, there's that first law, according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Something's going on, Paul says, in my, in my mind. Now, he's talking about after his conversion, after having that experience on the Damascus Road where he was blinded by this bright light and then he hears the voice of Jesus saying, Why do you persecute me? And then he went around three days with this blindness wondering what's going on. And then he comes to the Romans and he says that I, I know that the law of God is good, but there's a law that's in me that seems to be controlling me. And this, is, this law is, is evil. He calls it the law of sin. 
And even though I know in my mind I want to do God's way, somehow this law of sin takes control, has control of my mind, it automatically pops up, and I just can't seem to follow God's will. So how can we ever expect to have any kind of victory to do the will of God if Paul, the apostle, can't even do it? The Bible makes it very clear about those who are called at the end time, just before Jesus calls his remnant church. And here's how he describes them. In Revelation 14, verse 12, he says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Well, that's what I want to be. I want to be one of those faithful people. I want to be a part of his true church. I want to be where I want that I can keep the commandments and have the faith of Jesus. But it seems like the more I try to do that, the more I begin to fail because this law of sin is still controlling my mind. And do I have any hope at all? Well, the Apostle Paul says, yes. There is hope for us. But he says, what you've forgotten really is, the Laodicean church has forgotten the third law. The third law, what is that? Romans 8, verses 1 to 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, that's being controlled and doing that law of sin, but according to to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Do you see that other law? The three laws? There's the law of God. That's what I want to do. That's what God wants me to do. There's the law of sin that prevents me from doing it. And the only thing that has power over the law of sin is what Paul calls the law of the Spirit. We must walk under the control of the law of the Spirit, and that's called sanctification. Romans 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Daughters as well, too, ladies. I don't want to leave you out. So I have to be led by the Spirit of God all through all the ages. You can go back into the Old Testament and you can see individuals who are led by the Spirit of God. They even said they walked with God. They were one with God. Jesus says, I don't want anything more than for you to be one with Him just as He is with the Father. He wants that connection. So I said there's two principles in, that we have to keep in mind that takes place. Two principles that are important to us. And I said that you had to start first with a mental discipline. Now remember, we're not saving ourselves. I can't do that. But there is something, some part that I have to do on my own. And it has to do with a part of, of, of something that takes place in my mind. There are some things that I can do and there are some things that I can't. I can't control this 
thing of, of sin, the law of sin that's in my mind. But let me give you an example. Let's say that I have a problem with alcohol. And it's destroying my family and it's destroying me physically. Okay? Now, I've got a problem and I have to come to a point to admit that I have this problem. If I, if I never admit that I have this problem, I'll never change. Okay? So, my part is, one of the things that I have to do is I have to stay away from places that serve alcohol. Might be my friends. It might be the bar I used to go to. It could be any place. And the reason for that is because if I go into a place that will be tempting for me, the law of sin will automatically say, it's here, ready, grab it. And I won't even think. So I've got to stay away from those places. That's my part. Now, I still have the cravings for alcohol within my mind. I can't change that. That's pre-wired. It could be passed down to the third and fourth generations. You know, the Bible says that, that the sins of the, of the fathers can be passed down to the third and fourth generations. And I may have not even known my great-great-grandfather. And so because of that, I've got that pre-wired up there. But I'm going to stay away from the temptation. But I need something to come in and to help me to break the habit that has the power over me. And I can't do that. Now, another thing that I have to do that's on my part. If I say I can never be free from alcohol, guess what? I'll never be free. God cannot come in and do anything if I always see myself as an alcoholic. But when I begin to see that there is, and in Alcoholics Anonymous they call it a higher power. We know it's God. When I know there's a God who wants to free me from the law of sin, and I begin to see myself free by the power of God from this thing that has been controlling me, it will help me go in the right direction. It gives permission of the Holy Spirit to be able to come in and to do something. I can't do it on my own. So there's that mental discipline that I have to learn about myself. The second thing that we didn't touch on last week is we have the mental discipline. Now I have to be Holy Spirit disciplined. Remember, I'm at enmity with God. Enmity means I'm at war at God. I have to begin to learn a new way of life in walking under the control of the Holy Spirit. Remember, it is the law of the Spirit that's going to free me from the law of sin that is already in my mind. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. I can have a new life, not from what I do, but from what the Spirit is willing to do in me. If the Spirit dwells in me, I can have victory over 
the law of sin that I have no control over. But you might be thinking, oh, I already know that, Pastor. That dwelling of the Spirit in me is is called the latter rain experience. And I've been praying and praying for that experience to come. And I know when the latter rains hits, I will be changed. Let me tell you something. If you're waiting to what many Christians call the latter rain experience to make you ready for the second coming of Jesus, to make you sanctified instantly, I'll tell you what, you are wrong. Because that's not the purpose of the latter rain. The latter rain is to bring in the harvest, not to make you ready. If you're waiting for the latter rain experience to make you ready, guess what? You're going to miss the boat. Joel 2, verses 1 and 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Joel, the context of this in Joel chapter 2, is talking about just before the second coming of Jesus. Okay? Saying it's at hand. The day of the Lord is at hand. Now, let's continue on. A day, this is before the second coming. The second coming is going to be a day of rejoicing. But before that, it's going to be a day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been Not will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. Look, this is painting the picture that before Jesus comes, this gloominess is going to come where the world is going to turn on God's people. So this is the context. We're going to see evil like we've never seen before. We're going to see the forces of the devil like we have never experienced no generation have ever experienced within their life. The winds of strife are going to be let loose. Now, if that is the case, and I'm waiting for the latter rain experience, I'm not going to make it through that. So that is the context. Now let's go to Joel 2, verse 12. Now therefore, says the Lord, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. God's people will have to recognize beforehand their terrible condition. They must turn to God in a state of repentance. They must be fasting and weeping and mourning over their condition because they realize that they cannot save themselves the desire to change our ways from a sinful lifestyle under the control of the law of sin to desiring a sanctified life, the turning away is given a title. Joel 2, verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given you the former rain. I have to experience the former rain before I can experience the latter rain. But what does that mean? 
For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. Who's causing the rain? God is. The former rain. He doesn't want you to forget that. And the latter rain in the first month. So first comes the former rain, and then the latter rain takes place later on. He's using a terminology that Joel would use because that was an agricultural type setting back in those days. And he's looking and he's saying, look, what you've got to have, you've got to experience, there will be two types of rains, but you've got to experience the first one before you can have the second one. Notice the former rain comes before the latter rain. Israel was mainly that agricultural place, and when the farmers planted the seed in the fall of the year, they had to have a rain to come to make the seed grow. You cannot expect to have instantaneous grain. It's got to grow. And so that seed, the plants will grow. Without this rain, the plant would die. In the spring of the year, just before the harvest, the latter rain comes, and that makes the grain ready for the harvest. We think that the grain being ready for the harvest is God making us ready, but it's got to happen before then. We've got to be able to grow and learn to grow in Jesus Christ before we can ever expect to have the ripened grain. Both rains are important, but the former or early rain must come first. If you wait for the latter rain to make the grain ready, it's too late. The Old Testament used this terminology to terminology to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. Take a look at Matthew 3 and verse 11. John the Baptist is speaking, and he's saying, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Who's he speaking about? Jesus, okay, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and with fire. John baptized with water. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit different and separate from the water baptism? What did John the Baptist call the people to do? Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying to them, what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What has to take place before the kingdom comes? Repentance, okay? He called the people to repent of their sins. Now, the word repent means to sorrow or remorse for what one has or has not done against God. So if I'm doing something against God, I have to come to a point to be sorrowful that that has taken place within my life. Not cover it up. Don't hide it. Don't say, well, that Bible text doesn't pertain to us anymore. I have to come to a point to admit to be sorrowful The Bible says we need to be weeping, we need to be crying, we need to be mourning, we need to be fasting, because something is controlling me. And I can't stop it, 
but I am sorry that I'm doing it. Not only the bad things, but you, do you know that my righteousness, the things that I do right is as filthy rags? The things that I do right is not good enough. I'm in pretty bad condition. I want to do what is right, but I do what is wrong. Because the law of sin is reigning within me. And Jesus says this in Mark 2.17, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. Alright? That's his purpose. But you might be thinking, oh, okay, pastor, I did that already. I, that, that's when I took Bible studies and I began to learn things and then I was baptized. I repented and I was baptized by the water. Yes, that was at your baptism by water. But Paul says there is something else that must take place. Romans 6, verses 12 and 13. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now you can't stop it because it's automatic. It's a law. That you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. If my righteousness is as filthy rags, how can I present my righteousness of God to Him? It's not my righteousness, it's His righteousness. The context is talking about after your baptism by water... Water baptism does not take care of the law of sin that reigns in your mind. There are two workings of the Holy Spirit within the life of a person. The Holy Spirit, the workings of the Holy Spirit, first of all, is to call us to repentance and to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. That's when you're baptized. But a lot of us stop there. I'm glad you're here. A lot of them stop there. But they need to grow. But they can't grow until there is some rain. John 16, verse 13. When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit will first lead you to the truth in Jesus Christ and to repentance. But it hasn't taken care of the law of sin in your mind yet. When you're baptized, it's just saying, I've got a problem and I'm sorry for it, but I need more help. That's when the Holy Spirit that's working in me is calling me to repentance to accept Jesus but then I have to give Him permission to sanctify me. Sanctify me means to change me, to help me. I need help with this thing. It's coming off my ear. To break the law of sin that controls us can only come from the Holy Spirit. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first rain, the early rain, not the latter rain. You see, many of us have not experienced this 
sanctifying control of the Holy Spirit. We've been trying to do it on our own. Okay, I keep the Sabbath. That's all right. I'm doing well. Pat me on the back. Praise God. But what about the other things? The, the evil thoughts in my mind. The things that I cover up that I don't want anybody to see, especially the pastor. What about those things? That's what God wants to break us of. That is what He calls His sanctification, is, is the change, is when I allow this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts 8, verses 14 through 17. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he, that's talking to the Spirit, had not fallen upon any of them. They had only been baptized by water in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid the apostles laid hands on these individuals, and they received what? They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't like that term. Because we think of the Pentecostals, and we don't want to be associated with anything like that and start rolling around in the aisles and everything else. So we tend to tear this out. But let me tell you, there's something to this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, John came to baptize with water, but Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And until that takes place, I'm still under the control of the law of sin. What does the Holy Spirit want to do with us when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit? I didn't have time to list everything. But if you've got a computer and you've got... Ellen White's writings on the computer. Just punch in spirit baptism and you'll see 150 things that are going to come up. Here's just a few of them. The Holy Spirit wants to bring to us revival, repentance, and obedience to God's will. I want to follow God's will. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I want a revival. Can you imagine if we were baptized with the Holy Spirit what the revival would do in this church if we were to all to seek it? There would be a revival not only in my own life but in the life of the church. Repentance. I need to come to a point to even see that how much the law of sin is controlling me right now. I get a greater understanding of the Scripture Oh, I know a lot about the Scripture. Let me show you something. You can go not even 30 miles in a radius from this church, the same denomination, and you're going to get 50 different interpretations on how to be ready for Jesus to come. And they're not all going to be right. And they're all saying, but I get this from Scripture. It's Jesus that says that His Spirit is going to lead us into all truth. And the truth shall make us free. Brothers and sisters, I need the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, to make sure I'm following truth. Otherwise, I'm going to be deceived. 
it, the baptism of the Holy Spirit increases my faith. I'm saved by grace. That's God's part through what? I need faith. So my faith increases. It transforms and regenerates me. It's transforming my mind. It's renewing my mind. It starts the battle over the control of my mind so that Jesus Christ is victor and the, and the devil is the loser. But until that battle takes place, the devil has total control. There's more unity in our homes and in our church. Brothers and sisters, a lot of you tell me, oh man, you just can't believe what it's like in my house. When I turn and drive into my driveway, I feel the pressure coming down on me because I know I'm going into a battlefield. When your family is baptized by the Holy Spirit, there is unity, there's no battle. When the church is baptized by the Holy Spirit, there is unity, there is no battle. It prepares us for the time of trouble, that dark period of time. If I don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit before then, I will not make it through the time of trouble. I will lose. I will drop out. I will make excuses. I will go back to the old way of life. And then the Holy Spirit helps me to become humble as I submit to God and the truth. I cannot submit to God in my own power. The Holy Spirit helps me to begin to break loose of where I am always in control with my selfishness and I allow the Holy Spirit to take total control. We don't like that. That's foreign to our Western way of thinking. We don't want anybody to control us, and we don't want them to control our mind. But Jesus says, you've got to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, period. If you're not, that's it. That's just a few things. There's 150 of them. Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and I have need of nothing. Who's this talking about? Us, the Laodicean. I don't need you, God. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind. That's what Jesus says, and you're naked too. Just like Adam and Eve were when they sinned. They hid from God because I'm naked. And Jesus says, I counsel you. That's to be by, but if you want to be buried, baptism is being buried. To buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. You know what that gold is? It's the Holy Spirit. You know what it'll cost you? Your will. Give up your will and accept His will to be done within your life. We feel like we don't need anything more we are spiritually great the way we are. And Jesus says, you know what? If you stay this way, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth, which is his body. I'm going to spew you out of the church. There's the shaking. How important is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? 
It's extremely important. It is necessary to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because Jesus said in John 3, 3, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this from the Spirit of Prophecy. Testimonies to Ministers, page 506. The latter rain, ripening earth's harvest, represents the spiritual grace that prepares the church for the coming of the Son of Man. But unless the former rain has fallen, there will be no life. The green blade will not spring up. Unless the early showers have done their work, the latter rain can bring no seed to perfection. But I thought the latter rain would prepare us for the Christ's second coming by overpowering sin in our lives. Testimonies to Ministers, page 506 through 508. Many have a great measure failed to receive the former rain. doesn't say a few. It says many. I'm talking about the church, our church. They have not obtained all the benefits that God has thus provided for them. Here it is all available to us, and we don't even accept it or even desire to get it. They expect that the lack will be supplied by the latter rain, when the richest abundance of God's grace will be, dis- will be bestowed. They intend to open their hearts to receive it. They are making a terrible mistake. If we do not progress, if we do not place ourselves in an attitude to receive both the former and the latter rains, we shall lose our souls. Can't get any stronger than that, can you? Early writings, page 71. I saw that many were neglecting the preparation so needful and were looking for the time of refreshing and the latter rain to fit them to stand in the day of the Lord and to live in His sight. Oh, how many I saw in the time of trouble without shelter. They had neglected the needful preparation. Therefore, they could not receive the refreshing that all must have to fit them to live in the sight of the Holy Ghost. If I do not have the former rain and seek it within my life, The latter rain will do absolutely nothing. In fact, it will come and disappear and we won't even know it. And we'll still be looking, waiting. When's it going to happen? And it has been, and we did this in our own church, and I apologize. We've sat here and we've been praying for the latter rain. We should have been praying for the former rain, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the early rain, whatever you want to call it. We've been praying for the wrong thing. But I thought the Sabbath was the seal of God in the last days. And I keep the Sabbath, so I'm doing okay. But the fullness of the Spirit baptism is the method by which we receive the seal of God. In other words, I can keep the Sabbath, but what good would it do if I have not received the seal or the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It means nothing. I can keep it perfectly from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday and I can read everything and I can do everything and I can come to church and not miss a day, a Sabbath. What good is it going to do if I don't have the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit does not have control of my mind? I'm just keeping the Sabbath for nothing. Might as well keep any of the other days of the week. Ephesians 1 verse 13. In Him, that's Jesus, you also trusted. 
after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Fulfilled truth, such as keeping the Sabbath, is of no good if you have not been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Is the, is the Sabbath going to be an issue at the end of time? Yes. We often call it the seal, but the seal, the Sabbath itself, is not sealed until I have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Until I am under the full control of the Holy Spirit. I will not be changed. I cannot help others to see the Sabbath or to see anything if I myself am under the control of sin. What good is it going to do? How am I going to help prepare people for the second coming of Jesus when I'm not even under the control of Jesus myself? How's the grain going to be ripened in my life and the life of my family and the life of others and the life of my church if I'm not controlled by the Holy Spirit? What if my church is not controlled by the Holy Spirit? What good is it going to do? Absolutely nothing. So the question is, what do I have to do in order to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit? I want you to begin to set aside 10 days. August the 20th through the 29th. Each night, we're going to meet here in the church at 7 o'clock. And we're going to go through a 10-day preparation to receive, experience, and prepare for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. These 10 days will totally change your lives. If you come to all of them, we're going to repent of our sins. We're going to mourn our sinful condition. We're going to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. On Sunday morning, the 10th day, August the 29th at 7 a.m., we're going to meet for an agape breakfast. To close the experience. Now I'm telling you this ahead of time so that you'll have enough time to make arrangements to be present the entire nine evenings and Sunday morning. And I will tell you this, it will not be recorded. Recording will not help you to experience what we're all going to experience. You need to be here. I don't think that when John the Baptist was out baptizing, or when the apostles were out, someone says, send us a recording so we can be baptized too. You had to be there. But in the meantime, I've changed the hymn from what I was going to present, and we're going to sing one that's probably appropriate, hymn number 195. Because we want to receive that showers of blessings, don't we, from the Holy Spirit. We want to be baptized anew. Let's sing that together as we stand. It's our commitment that we're going to follow him. Hymn number 195. Should we stand as we sing? There shall be showers of blessings. This is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing. 
sent from the Savior above, showers of blessings, showers of blessings we need, mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead, there shall be showers of blessing. Precious reviving again Over the hills and the valleys Sound of abundance of rain Showers of blessing Showers of blessing we need Mercy drops round us are falling but for the showers we plead There shall be showers of blessing Send them upon us, O Lord Grant to us now a refreshing Come and now honor thy word Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. There shall be showers of blessing. Oh, that today they might fall. Now as to God we're confessing. Now as on Jesus we call. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessings we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. Before we pray, I want to tell you and to remind the elders to come back in, the, in my office for an anointing service. The devil doesn't want this to be known. He doesn't want this baptism of the Holy Spirit in his church. And he has attacked me physically in the past couple of weeks that I'm seeking the anointing from the elders to be here. And uh, we're going to carry through no matter what takes place. And those of you who are visitors, if you want to come to these ten nights here in the Beaumont Church, you are welcome to come. And uh, if you got something going on in the other church, you tell them. We're going to go receive the Holy Spirit in the Beaumont Church. That can wait. In fact, we'll come back and we'll tell you what to do. And that's what we need. We need that in our church. So we're going to have prayer. My wife's going to go out and to Tom and Mary Ellen are going to go out and shake. Jean's going to join me on the anointing service. They're going to greet you as you leave. Visitors, you're welcome and church members to come to our fellowship meal. We'll be over there in a little bit. And the Lord is going to do mighty, marvelous things in this church. He already has, but he's going to continue. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just pray that you begin to prepare our hearts.
for this coming event in August. That you're going to help us take over our lives. Because without you, we can do absolutely nothing. We need that power, that shower of blessings upon us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord and by his Holy Spirit who is with us now and will go with us when we leave this place. In his name we pray. Amen.